All right, let's pray before we get started. Father God, we love you. We love your word. We thank you for the opportunity to come together and study it. We just pray now that you'll plant your word deep into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay. Our subject matter for the whole weekend has been the doctrine of last things with regard to the time of the church. We've noted distinct things that will occur uh, as, as the church nears its end. We have noted principles that will prevail and we'll, we'll, we'll notice tomorrow in tomorrow morning's in the final session, we will really get down to probably the most detailed matters uh, with regard to the, uh, the doctrine of last things in the church. This, this session is going to carry us through some principles. You know, we said times and seasons, or Paul said it, that we would know times and seasons. We looked at those words from the Greek text. The first one means the progression of time. In other words, we see, well, this is we've passed through that and we're, we're here. And then the season or the epoch of time would be the pinnacle moment, the right moment. So today or tonight, we're going to continue in this study, but we're going to look at some, some principles that are just on the horizon that we should take note of. So I'm calling this session, The World Needs Us, and I'm talking about the believing church, all right? We're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now here's the setting in, in Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. Paul had given, and we're going to see this in what he says, Paul had given very detailed instruction about the end of the age of the church and the rapture of the church. Paul, like any of the rest of us, could not detail the exact moment when this is going to happen. The Thessalonians, as Christians in the, in the Roman era, were under persecution. They even had reason to believe that maybe Caesar was the Antichrist. Somebody comes along. Now, Paul addresses all of that, uh, the doctrine of the rapture, and then in a teaching that for them that was not recorded for us but is alluded to here, in a teaching, uh, he taught them about the Antichrist and, and how, how things will be at the, very, at, the, at the time of the tribulation. Obviously, he would have drunk, Book of Daniel has is, is got some details about the tribulation. Paul, being an inspired apostle, having gone to what I call the seminary of the Holy Ghost for three years in the, in the desert, um, would, have, would have received this instruction from the, from the Holy Spirit. And he, he, he obviously, obviously, as an apostle, uh, was was qualified to teach these things. 
Now somebody comes along, here are the Thessalonians, they're all excited about this doctrine of the rapture and the resurrection. They've lost mamas and daddies that were believers, you know, and they're going to get to see them again and all this kind of thing. And somebody comes along with a false report that the church has actually entered into the tribulation, that the tribulation has fallen on the world. And this was very upsetting to the Thessalonians. So with that in mind, we begin in chapter 2 and verse 1, 2 Thessalonians. We implore you, brothers, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him, that is the rapture, our gathering to him, not to be quickly shaken in mind, nor be troubled by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as if by us, that the day of the Lord uh, presents itself. I guess you could say is present. Now, um, it, 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 it should be translated is present. All right, so Paul addresses the fact that somebody perhaps brought a, 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 a false writing and claimed that it was from Paul. Oh dear, the tribulation has begun and here we are. Given their immediate personal circumstances, it was probably fairly easy to convince them that this was probably the, the way it was because they were persecuted as Christians in that day. But Paul, of course, knows that that's wrong, that, that this is not the day of the Lord. Now, let's talk about the day. Of, well, no, I'll talk about that in just a second. Let's keep going here. No one should deceive you in any way because it is not until the apostasy will have come first and the man of lawlessness will have been revealed, the son of destruction, the one opposing and exalting himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so as for him to sit down in the temple of God, setting forth that he himself is God. Okay. The church can be deceived... And this, I think we should pay attention to this. We should pay attention to all of it, right? They, they have fallen briefly under a deception that was convincing that the world had entered into the tribulation. Paul had taught them that the church will not enter into the tribulation. Now, he says, you've been deceived because there are things that happen prior that happen with regard to the church prior to the tribulation coming or as the tribulation comes. The first is what he calls the apostasy. So the apostasy had not occurred. Now we're in the time of the church, so the apostasy has to be applicable to the church. Your, 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 your translation may some, say something like falling away or something like that. I don't know. Um, let's look at the Greek word. It's a compound word from two Greek words. Apo means, <coughs> excuse me, apo means away from. Stasis means to stand. So let's think about that word stasis or to stand. The word 
Resurrection comes from the Greek compound word anastasis, which means to stand again. That's anastasis is translated resurrection. Apostasis means to stand off from or to stand away from. It means that the church at a time before the man of lawlessness is revealed, who is the Antichrist, which, which would be indicative of the close of the time of the church. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> the church would, would actually see an era of apostasy. We could call that the beginning of the Laodicean age, if you want to think of those seven churches as seven ages of the church. A time when people will find that it is culturally fashionable to stand away from real Christianity. We live in a day today where Christianity is despised for its beliefs. Um, and, uh, you know, Christians are called narrow-minded and bigoted and all this kind of thing because we think you need to be a believer to be saved. You know, we don't think that everybody is saved. We think that only believers in Christ are saved. So with, with twisted uh, logic, increasingly the world comes against the Christian faith. Now, it's interesting to me that it doesn't come against, it doesn't try to twist the faith of other religions, right? Only the Christians are being attacked. So the church is doing something that's going to be a big, some of the church, some within the so-called church or within Christendom, going to make the same kind of mistake that they made back during the 1850s. A, a thing called higher criticism, Wellhausen higher criticism came from Germany, from a, from a theologian, because Darwin, Darwinism had, had, had taken the world. You know, Darwin went on his trip and he, he found little critters and stuff and just declared that things evolved, that it's the theory of evolution. Darwinism. The church, especially those who tried to appeal to broad masses of individuals, begin to say, you know, we have people going to start leaving the church here. we got to figure out a way to make it all work out for everybody. So they came up with this higher criticism, right? And higher criticism said, well, the Bible does not necessarily speak truthfully to matters of science. It only speaks truthfully to matters of faith. So they began to try to create ways to fit evolution in with the creation story. And Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, went to the British Baptist Union, the BBU, back in the day in the 1800s when he, pro he, had, he had the biggest church in the world, not just in Great Britain. And he would have thousands of people to come to his Metropolitan Tabernacle uh, to hear him preach. It was I've seen I've seen drawings of that. That's just a magnificent thing that he had uh, where he preached. And so he was uh, 
obviously very popular. And I got to tell you, when, when one preacher is making a lot of noise, it makes a lot of other preachers who think they ought to be just as important jealous. It just makes them jealous. So in order to keep what they had, they compromised and adopted this, this higher criticism theory of, of the Bible. And Spurgeon attended the British Baptist Union and delivered a scathing message on anyone who would tamper with the Bible and who would dare to compromise the Holy Word of God in any way. Many of his more highly educated academic pastor types who were ultra-seminarians scoffed and wagged their heads and made fun of him and he believed in a three-headed God and he believed the sun raised was, would, would rise in the east and set in the west. He couldn't even get his scientific facts straight. And they just made all kinds of fun of uh, Spurgeon and many believe that it actually led him to his death. He died at the age of 52, I think. And they say he quite quite likely died of a broken heart because of all this that happened. Uh, because there was this turn toward liberalism in the church, uh, this, this, kind of, uh, this kind of compromise. Well, if you really want to look at it, when you have high-minded, famously named, worldly important theologians who adopt something that questions the Bible and tries to make the church throw away part of the Bible, that makes the world happy. And that makes a lot of fringe elements within a church happy. That I mean, I like that, you know. I, I want to go to that church. I don't want to go to this one over here where, you know, I have to admit that I'm a sinner and think of myself as awful and think that I've got to have some guy who lived 2,000 years ago to be the only person who can save me. You know, a lot of people like that. I've seen them. I've talked to them. And in that day, there were people who stood off from the faith. That was an apostasy. They stood away from it. Um, they may have called themselves Christians. They were perhaps church people. But they apostatized. They stood away from the faith. Now, here, it is so significant that the Holy Spirit of God has preserved it. There's coming a time that the church will see when masses of people will stand off from the faith. No one should deceive you in any way because it is not until the apostasy will have come first. So Paul is telling you, see, the church is just beginning to get started. And these people were dying because they were Christians. So that's not the apostasy. And Paul is saying, you know, there's an apostasy coming that, that the church hasn't experienced yet. Not just that. The man of lawlessness will have been revealed, the son of destruction, the one opposing and exalting himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so as for him to sit down in the temple of God, setting forth that he himself is God. All right? That's the Antichrist. 
Now, the Antichrist is just that. He is anti-Christ. He is against Christ. And he is the, he is the culmin he is Satan's finest work. He is the culmination of everything evil rolled up into one man, into one person. Uh, and we're going to see in the, in the context here, as long as the church is here, he can't be revealed like that. That's why I call this the world needs us. As long as the church is here and the Holy Spirit works through the church in this age in which we live, there is a restraining force that keeps the, I mean, you know, Satan would have loved to have revealed Antichrist back then so the church wouldn't get a good start or anything. But the Holy Spirit of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in the church, these have not permitted the revelation of the Antichrist. So it wasn't time and it wasn't by the will of God. So Paul is saying this to the Thessalonians. It isn't just that. The Antichrist has not been revealed yet. And you wouldn't still be here. So we know, we know this is not the day of the Lord. He goes on and he even gives fairly detailed information here. That, and the, Paul wrote Thessalonians before the Revelation was written, but he reveals some things here that the Antichrist will establish himself as God, the object of worship for the world. He'll sit down in the temple of God. So now the temple still existed then, but <clears throat> it wasn't long after that till the temple was destroyed. So there was no temple up until this day, there is no temple, although there have been plans made in recent years by Orthodox Jews to rebuild the temple uh, there. They have their land back now, and they have their city of Jerusalem back, and, and so they're working on getting the Temple Mount back. And we live in an era that they didn't have because Israel is established as a nation among nations, which they weren't at that time. They'd lost their nationhood. So it couldn't have happened then. Uh, and it couldn't have happened for all of those hundreds of years after the temple was destroyed, even up until today, because there has been no temple since, since the time that temple was destroyed. Uh, what, in 70 AD? Um, the temple has to be reconstructed so that the Antichrist can be revealed by setting himself up as God in the temple of God. All right. Now, you and I live very close to a time like that. They have the city of Jerusalem. They have a place called Israel. And <clears throat> they control the temple mount. They just haven't worked it out yet to where they just take it over. You know, that's where the mosque of Omar is. That's where there's a holy site for Islam. Um, obviously the time's coming when that's going to be removed and this, this tribulation temple will be built. Now, the Antichrist reveals himself in the middle of the tribulation as God. That's, that's the midpoint. That's three and a half years into the tribulation. So Paul is identifying a time that would not only be in the tribulation, but it is, it is the day of God's wrath, which is the last three and a half years, 
and it begins when the abomination of desolation, which is the Antichrist, setting himself up as God in the temple. Um, so Paul is saying, he could even point to the temple at that point in time and say, hey, every Jew in the world knows that nobody has gone and set himself up as God in the temple. And you know this is one of the things that's going to have to happen. So Paul is setting forth some principles with regard to the doctrine or the eschatology of the church. Here are some things that are going to identify that. The first is while we're still here, the apostasy. People on an unprecedented scale will stand off from the Christian faith and pay no attention to it at all. Somebody was talking about a thing that I had read also. Was it you telling me how Massachusetts is going to remove God from, uh, from, from their, from their uh, all of their documents or whatever, uh, oath, the oaths and, and everything? And, and I read where there's been an attempt in the House of Representatives to do uh, much the same. Well, you have to understand that is... That is the beginning of the apostasy. Standing off, standing away from it, like it's radioactive or something. Um, so that will occur at the close of the age of the church. And then the church will be gone. You're in trouble if you're here and you see a leader, a world leader set himself up in a newly built temple. And you're around to see that, you're in trouble. Um, and just, you just, yeah, you're going to pay for, I mean, yeah, I'm, yeah, you've done halfway through it. You, um, now, okay, let me go to verse five. Paul says, do you not remember that yet being with you, I was saying these things to you and now, you know, that which is restraining for him to be revealed in his time. The mystery of lawlessness is already working only there is the one restraining it at present until he might be gone out of the midst. This is just rich. Okay, now, Paul says, them, says to them, you know I told you this. I told you these very things. And those things haven't happened, so you're not in the tribulation. Just because, and that applies to today, just because pockets of Christians or going through affliction doesn't mean that the tribulation has occurred. This has always happened in the church. Christians here and there have been persecuted even on an unprecedented scale, but nothing on the scale that it, that it will be uh, at, at the time of the apostasy. And then of course the tribulation saints, those who come to believe in the tribulation they get really mistreated and, and killed. Now let's look at this. Paul says, I taught you these things. It wasn't that long ago he wrote 1 Thessalonians and he was there. So, you know, he said, it wasn't that long ago I told you these things. And here's what you know and this is what I taught. Two things about the restraint. The first one is in the neuter. It is an it restrains. The second one is in a masculine and it is he restrains. So it restrains and he restrains. 
the restraining is a is a what a force that is presided over by a supernatural being. This is the way I see it. He says, you know that which is restraining for him to be revealed in his time. In other words, he can't be revealed, the Antichrist, man of law, son of perdition. He cannot be revealed until that which restrains is removed. He can't be revealed until he who restrains at present is taken out of the midst. All right. That which restrains. God has an infallible purpose that will not be thwarted. That purpose is for the Lord God the Father to gather from among the Gentiles those whom he has given to Christ. John chapter 6. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. We're living in the times of the Gentiles. During the times of the Gentiles, through the generations, God is calling those whom he would give, whom he has given, to his son Jesus Christ. Someday, according to the Bible, the fullness of the Gentiles will come in. And what does that mean? That means the last person on God's list will be saved in the time of the Gentiles. And then it's rapture and resurrection for the church. As long as God is working through the church and the gospel message through the church, the power of the Holy Spirit working in the church, as long as that's working, God is gathering his own to himself, to his son, the gift he's given to his son. That's restraining the revealing of the Antichrist. He cannot be revealed until the last of us is saved in this age of the church. That's why I started out saying the world needs us. <laughs> they don't realize it. They'll deny it. But, but the whole world is just in a mess once the church is gone. He says, the mystery of lawlessness is already working. Okay? The mystery of lawlessness uses a word, mystery. It speaks of something that has to be revealed in a way other than a natural way of understanding. It's a divine revealing. A mystery is a mystery until it is divinely revealed. The mystery of lawlessness continues to work in the world. Why are these people doing what they do, you know. Why do governments, the question is asked in the second Psalm, why do the nations rage against God and his Christ? That's a valid question. The church would, answer, would ask that. We want everybody to go to heaven. Why ain't y'all interested in living forever? Why does that not, not thrill you? It's free. You don't have to pay for it. Why don't you come to Christ? All right, the mystery of lawlessness that's the spirit of Antichrist. John calls it the spirit of Antichrist. He said it's already at work. The spirit of Antichrist means to work against Christ, anti-Christ. The spirit of the world is a spirit of lawlessness 
that works against the church, works against the gospel, works against the Bible, works against preachers, works against any group of people who honestly believe the Word of God and honestly want to see people saved. And we have to say there is only one way to heaven. You can't dabble with other religions and expect to be saved. It, it, God said it won't work that way. You have to come to Christ. Nobody comes to the Father but through the Son. So this is our message. Uh, it's, it's absolutely free. It's by the grace of God. But the mystery of lawlessness is the world carries on in its crazy way, and it's getting crazier. We've talked about that. The things that shock us don't seem to shock the culture of the world. The mystery of lawlessness is even worse now than it was in the... And it's a mystery because it keeps working and seems to keep growing. But here's why Paul says the mystery of lawlessness is already working, but the one restraining is keeping it from being totally revealed. Here's the point. When it comes to lawlessness and anti-Christ behavior, the world ain't seen nothing yet, not till it reaches the tribulation. The tribulation is hell unleashed, unparalleled in any time, not since the time began. Demons that have not been allowed access to the human race will be released from the pit. The, angels, the evil angels bound at the Euphrates River who have been chained there. You ever thought about how much evil goes on around that part of the world? Four evil angel, angel magnates that have never been allowed access to the human race are going to be loosed. Well, just think about it. It's just, it's, but the worst part is this. That which restrains will be removed and he who restrains will step out of the way. Yikes. It doesn't, now the Holy Spirit of God is omnipresent. That doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit of God is going to be taken out of the world. That's impossible. But the Holy Spirit of God is just going to step out of the way. Once the church is gathered and the work of the Holy Spirit in the church, then that which restrains is gone, the work of the church in the world, until the last one of us is gathered. Once that happens, the Holy Spirit's going to step out of the way. And then the son of perdition, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, will be revealed. Okay? So we're all the wiser, knowing that there's a great work for the church to do, to call the lost to be saved, uh, to cry out, to the world um, of the promise of, of the gospel of Christ, the, 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 the great wonders of, of salvation. And then God does the rest of it. God, God will bring those to himself whom he will. That, I can't do that. God does that. So the Holy Spirit is very, very active in that. But someday it's going to be taken out of the way. And then three and a half years into it, the Holy Spirit's going to step out of the way. Now, now, why three and a half years into it? Well, you think about this now. 144,000 sealed evangelists, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, are going to be sealed 
and sent out into the world. As one guy puts it, 144,000 Apostle Pauls, if you could imagine that, released into the world. The two witnesses, the two witnesses who cry out from Jerusalem and grip the whole world with their message. The Holy Spirit still works in the way that he will work in that first three and a half years. But then, who is it that, you know, nobody, those, those two, witnesses, two witnesses, for example, nobody can kill them. They, they keep trying, they can't. Every time they try to sh shoot them, the bullet comes back and hits the guy trying to shoot them. I mean, it's just, it's just really God taking care of them until he's through with them. And then it, the Antichrist comes in and kills them. And that's when he comes into Jerusalem and at that point sets himself up as God, steps into the temple. Okay, so at those three and a half years, the Holy Spirit steps out of the way. Two witnesses are killed. Antichrist is a big hero because they, they have been badgering the world with their sermons. The two witnesses, here's probably what happens. The two witnesses know that the final seven years have come into the world, upon the world. And they begin to tell the world to watch out for that which is revealed in the first seal that's broken. And then they begin to cry out for the world to watch out for you know, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you know, the first four seals. This is about to happen. You'd better know this. You need to hear this message. And it happens. Well, the world is going to blame them instead of blame themselves, you know, because there's this one repeated phrase in the Revelation. They would not repent. They would not repent. You see that over and over in the Revelation. Then he steps out of the way. 144,000 will have completed their work. The two witnesses will have completed their work. Uh, and then... Of course, the trumpets and then, and then the bowls of wrath are poured out and these awful things, all the fish die, you know, the sun darkens and then the air gets hard to breathe. All this kind of stuff boils on their skin and just all kind of bad stuff. Un, unlike anything that's ever happened worldwide uh, to that point. And uh, a worldwide earthquake that shakes down all the mountains uh, and that and it shakes away all the islands of the sea. Of course, the islands are just mountaintops from sub-oceanic mountain ranges. The earthquake's so great that every high point is just shaken down. All the cities are shaken down. It's just, it's just uh, the ocean, you know, the water turns to blood everywhere. Air is hard to breathe. Um, things get worse and worse and worse as the judgment of God falls. But the people who are left, who are not the tribulation saints and who are not Israel, who has been called into salvation at that point, they just get worse, you know, until finally they're going to gather themselves at Armageddon and think that they can fight against the returning Christ. Well, right now, the church, in, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is working with the gospel message and that the light of the gospel is reaching out into the hearts of those whom God would bring to himself. Someday the last one will come in. I don't know. You know, I just see this angel up there checking off the list of the, of the Lamb's Book of Life from before the family. Well, okay, got that one. Got this one. Got one left. Oh, there he comes. Okay, you know, that's the gospel according to Charles. You can take that or leave it. But 
There is a book. Their names are there from before the foundation of the world. And finally, the last one will come in. And that will introduce the last half of the tribulation. So, what are we saying? Okay. I think, this is just me, I think we're beginning to see the apostasy unlike Christianity has ever seen it. And then, I think that we can begin to see that the, the revelation of the son of perdition is, is even at the door. So these things we have to think about in our hearts and consider where are we in the times and the epochs of time, the seasons of time. All right, verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and will annul by the appearing of his coming, whose coming is in according to the energetic action of Satan in every power, in signs, and in wonders of falsehood, and in every deceit of wickedness to those perishing, in return for which the love of the truth they received not, in order for them to be saved. After the three and a half years, Armageddon, here comes Jesus with all of his saints and angels, and all he does is open his mouth. The first, two, the first two thrown into the lake of fire are captured alive and thrown into the lake of fire. They are the Antichrist and the false prophet. Nobody's in the lake of fire yet. A lot of people in Hades, but nobody's in the lake of fire yet. The first two that are thrown there are the Antichrist and the false prophet. The rest of those who are going to be thrown there will be at the end of the millennial kingdom, at the, at the great white throne, the second resurrection, um, when death and Hades give up the dead and they stand and the books are open, they stand before the great white throne, the books are open, the book is open, name not found in the book of life, thrown into the lake of fire. So they are captured alive and thrown alive into the lake of fire. And all it takes is the, is the word coming from the mouth of Christ. Uh, and, and he just annuls him. Okay? He destroys him. But the coming of the Antichrist is by the energetic action of Satan. And for those three and a half years especially, he will oversee a demonstration of power and signs and wonders of falsehood and will wickedly deceive the world, those who will not believe, who will not receive the truth so that they can be saved, and they will perish and face the same final fate that the Antichrist suffers uh, first. But they'll be raised at the end of, uh, at the, end of the thousand years. Verse 11 because of this, God will send a working of delusion to them for them to believe what is false in order that all those having not believed should be judged, having not believed the truth, but having delighted in unrighteousness. Now we're seeing a little tip of that iceberg today. We're not seeing it like it's going to be seen. But now you think about this. 
God sends a working of delusion. Why? Well, he's wrapped up the church. He's called Israel to salvation. The work of the 144,000 and the two witnesses have seen multitudes of tribulation saints come in, and that's it. Well, can you imagine how awful that is? To live in a time when no one can be saved. Whew, that's just awful to think about. Because God has sent them a working of delusion, and it's impossible for them to believe. That is, that is hell on earth right there. So the, the, the battle of Armageddon, but there are still other nations and there are still other people. And there are still some who have been saved, but they haven't died yet. They haven't been caught and beheaded or whatever by, this, by the Antichrist. Matthew 25, the Lord comes to establish his kingdom. And of those who are still alive, he separates sheep from ghosts. Ghosts <laughs> from goats. They'll be about to be ghosts. <laughs> sheep from goats. He says to the sheep, enter into the kingdom that's prepared for you. And they'll just walk right into the kingdom age in their, in their bodies, their physical bodies. The rest of them are killed. They're sent to Hades. And there they await their final execution when Hades gives up, up, up its dead and it empties into the lake of fire where they'll be tormented forever and ever. We can see some of this, I think, already on the horizon. The apostasy. The world longing. Look at what a mess Europe is in. Well, really, much of the world. What a mess Europe is in. How they long for a leader who has all the answers, you know? Um, how, how the whole world just longs for somebody to, to bring us into an era that unlike anything we've seen and, and just do everything for us we want done. Antichrist. Antichrist. They'll take him with open arms. The Holy Spirit works until he steps out of the way. And then it's just awful from then on. So, okay, I think we're beginning to see the, the beginning of the apostasy. We already know that Israel is a nation. We know, it's easy to Google this, already they have the plans for the, this temple, this tribulation, they already have it. They already have made the outfittings for the priests and the high priests. They've already, they've already got that stuff made. They're just waiting. They're looking for the, you know, the, 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 the calf, the, uh, yeah, the red heifer. Uh, I, I saw in, oh, it's been some years ago, they, a group of priests from Israel came to Mississippi. They thought, they'd, they thought they had found the red heifer in Mississippi. But after careful examination, it had a little white hair in there, so I don't know. Um, but you can't deny that this thing is on the verge of happening. These people are committed people. They mean for this temple to be built. 
And they mean for those priestly garments to be worn by somebody. And they mean for that heifer to be found so that they can burn it and take the ashes of it and purify the priesthood and all that kind of stuff. We're, we're on the verge, so we know, we know what to pay attention to. This is part of our biblical worldview. Now, tomorrow morning, we get to probably the most focused part of the whole study, the teachings of demons and last day difficulties that the church will face. But uh, we'll, we'll stop it there and, uh, and pick up there, God willing, in the morning. Okay, let's pray. Father, we marvel at your word. We're excited that what seems to be the lateness of the hour and we're burdened about those who have never come to Christ. Help us, Lord, and use us as you see fit in these last days to do what has to be done. And we ever thank you for your salvation and the call that you've placed into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.